0: Acts 20 verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia and Sopotar of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus excuse me if I don't pronounce these names correctly, and Secundus of the, Th- of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and, Tych- and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Traos. but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them as at Traos, where he where we stayed seven days. Amen. So, Here, um, there's there's a breakdown of certain men that accompanied Paul. And it says in verse four that Sopitar of Berea accompanied him to Asia, and what he was talking about, he was accompanying Paul um, to different areas of that region of that time. And so Paul had a special group of men with him that he had chosen to become his companions as he traveled from city to city, church to church, region to region to preach the gospel. Each man had been chosen from these different churches of this time in this region to um, collect an offering and bring encouragement and their gifts to the church of Jerusalem. But to get to where he was at, to Jerusalem, it took a journey. And so he had to um, stop at, he had to make pit stops, let's say, different um cities or areas of that region in order to get to his destiny and not only did he have to take piss-offs, but he also had to take detours because here the scripture is talking about that there was an uproar in the city that there was a riot that had taken place and that the people were plotting to kill paul for preaching the gospel and so with all these um challenges in their way they had to take some detours but as he went on these tours and preaching the gospel Paul had picked these men of God, these specific men of God, to join him on his missions. And um, when these men were chosen, not only were they just any kind of man, but they were specific chosen men of God. These were leaders that led in their church. These were men that had specific skilled giftings that Paul knew they had to offer for the encouragement of the other churches that they were visiting, and for their destiny, the Church of Jerusalem. Um, They also were there to encourage and strengthen the churches. And how many of us know that when you need somebody, it feels really good, right? If you call your friend or your homegirl or your homeboy or, you know, your friend that you've known for 20 years and you just call them and they're there. Doesn't that feel awesome? There's such a loyalty there in your friendship, correct? And so... Now that we're talking about these men, there was a word here that really caught my attention. Because when you go on a trip, and these were very special trips. These were very specific, intentional trips. Um, When you travel somewhere with somebody, you just don't take just anybody, right? You don't just take, you know, that girl that gets on your nerves. Or you don't just take your mother-in-law or your father-in-law who really, you know, gets on your nerves or something. I don't know. But you pick specific people that you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know that I can wake up at 6 in the morning and this person's not going to be bothered if I turn on the light. Or I'm going to go and, you know, take care of some things and I'm going to bring them with me and I know that they're going to be my armor bearer through this time and I know that I can depend on them. Or I know that this person loves to laugh and I love to laugh so I'm going to be really intense in some things but I'm going to need some laughs along the way so I'm going to take this person with How many of us pick those people? Whenever I travel, I try to pick the funny person to come with me because I just love to laugh and joke and make fun of people. Just kidding. (laughs) I love to laugh. See, I made you laugh. See? And so um, Paul had to pick some certain men. But not just certain men. They had to be companions. They weren't just travel buddies. They weren't just, oh, I just picked you up on the side because you were walking. No, no. These men were specific men that were companions, amen. There's a difference between a traveling buddy and a companion. Okay. Now, when you go to the Book of Acts in nineteen twenty-nine, the the scripture calls some of his um, some of these guys that were traveling with him. The word says, um, "Having seized Gaius and Aristicus, Macedonians, Paul traveled. Paul's travel companions." These were travel companions. And when you look up the word companion, I love this. It talks about being a fellow traveler, but it's also union with or together, a union. It also means together by association of companionship. There's a resemblance, a possession, instrumentally with an addition, side by side, beside. It has similar application completeness and when you think of these companions that Paul had these men were not just you know strangers but they had a resemblance of one another there was a wholeness an application a completeness that both these men had or these several men had because they had one vision they had one heart one union and so in order for Paul to travel with these men there had to be a resemblance There had to be a common ground. There had to be a commitment of likeness in what their intention was when when they spread the gospel. Now, when you think of these words, Paul had to make sure that he had the right men to help him in accomplishing this great mission. He had to make sure that each man had authority, had giftings, had a good testimony, and absolutely had the same vision and a heart for people because Christ died for us, and who are we? We're his people. Also, he had to make sure that whatever man that would travel with him would not abandon him in whatever circumstances, because that happened to him. People abandoned him in missions that he was on, and how many of us know it doesn't feel good to be abandoned, right? When you go on a date or you're on a mission or you got something to do, and then they say, oh, I can't come, I'm sorry. Well, why? I don't know, I just have a little sniffle. Whoa, whoa. That doesn't feel good, right? Or when my husband, he goes on a date, what would he feel like if I abandoned him and just left him hanging? That would be all bad, right? He had to make sure that he had these men ready and willing to be with him at no matter the cost. He had to know that they would be there at the finish line, that what God had started, they would be there at the finish line. I love how the Bible states the physical appearance of Paul. Because the Bible says that Paul had somewhat of a weak presence physically let's say. He wasn't the most attractive man. He wasn't the guy that was so anointed and handsome like King Saul. He was, he was tall, handsome, he was a warrior and you know the people chose Saul because he looked handsome. He looked like a man of God. But the Lord said God looks at the heart, not the appearance of man. And so Going back to Paul, Paul didn't have a strong physical presence, but that didn't nullify, that didn't take away, that didn't disqualify who he was as the man of God. He was anointed. He had the power of God all over his life, but as he had the power of God and as he had a mission to fulfill, he had to take other men of influence, other men that had the giftings and the call of God to empower him even more so that he could go all over and spread the gospel and plant churches. And I love that not only were these men his travel friends, but they were his companions. They had a purpose. And they also had a heart for the people of God. A couple of these men that he traveled with was first Aristocrats. He was Paul's fellow prisoner and laborer. In Colossians 4.10 and Philemon 1.2, it, it describes that, that this was who he was in the Bible to Paul. His name meant also best ruling political rank or power so this man had something to offer to this leadership and back in these days when they would um name their children and even to this day I name my children with a purpose but back even more in these days these men had names and every name meant something every name um had a meaning to their life to their birth to something that intended for their life and um and so here, Paul's, Paul's friend or fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, had been right there side by side with him, being in prison. He was laboring in the ministry for the Lord with Paul. And so he knew that when he picked this man to be on his team, he knew he wasn't going to have a flake, you know, flaky individual. He knew that he wasn't going to have a wishy-washy individual. He knew that he was going to have someone that was going to be with him to the very end. And so because he had proven himself to be his fellow prisoner, his fellow laborer, why not pick this man of God? Why not have this man travel with him all over this region? Amen? He also had a, son, uh, a spiritual son by the name of Timothy. And a lot of us are very familiar with him. He was a young pastor. He was Paul's disciple. Um, Paul's spiritual son. He even, Paul had even described him as, I have no one like him. He described his spiritual son, out of all these disciples that he had, he described him in this one sentence. I have no one like him. Isn't that heavy? That when somebody is so close to somebody and they have such of the same heartbeat and of the same vision and of the same almost demeanor probably, they had such a bond amongst each other or between the two that he couldn't describe anybody else like him but this one guy. And when, it's, when he says that there's no one like him, I think of Pastor Sunny's guys. I think of Pastor Sunny Sr., and then I think of the elders. I think of, man, there's nobody like those guys. These are the men of God that have the heart of Pastor Sonny like, like nobody else does. And they've been ordained to have that. Also, did you know that Timothy had stomach problems? that he struggled in the physical as well, that he would get sick every now and then and he would have to drink a little bit of wine to settle his stomach. Now, that doesn't give us excuses for those who say, well, the Bible says we can drink. No, 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 no. no. Let's not take it out of context, okay? For those who were alcoholics like me, we don't drink anymore. Stop it, okay? (laughs) There is no excuse to drink, okay? Um, And so he had... um, some challenges in his life right also he was um, a child or a a young man that knew the scriptures and his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice Eunice and Lois um, raised him up in the word of God and so when you think of this I think of the church kid I think of the pastor's kid I think of somebody that you know as he was growing up in the word of God God was working in his life God was already planting the seed in him and I think of our children our kids gang how God is raising up these teachers to pour into these children and how these young kids gang, these young children running around, they're not just going to be our kids for, you know, forever. They're going to grow up. They're going to grow up to be mighty men and women of God. And I'm looking at them and I'm saying, what country is he going to take? I know he's going to take Asia. I know he's going to take China. I know he's going to take something. She's going to take something, some city for the Lord. And so here this church kid, let's say, grew up. Knowing the scriptures, knew the word, and how God had raised them up to be one of those teammates to Paul, one who was none like the others. Also, there was Trophimus, a native of the Roman province of Asia. His, na- his name meant nourishment, good food, meat. When I think of these things, I think, man, this, this guy probably was one that spiritually fed the people. And um, how many of us know that we want to grow a healthy church? We don't want to grow a crowd. We don't want to grow a group. We don't want to grow a mob. We want to grow a healthy people in Christ, a people that know the Lord, a people that have nourishment in their bones, right? Also, yeah, Tychicus, he was a native of the Roman province of Asia. Also, Gaius from Derby. he helped plant the church in Corinth, pioneer it. He also would be seized in riots with Aristarchus because of the preaching of Paul, Right? So he was somebody that he held down the fort. When the leader was being taken away and protected, Paul had been, um, he was preaching the gospel and they had a riot. So they took Paul because they didn't want him to get stoned or to get killed. And so Gaius and Aristarchus said they were right there and they seized them. So imagine being in a riot and they took the blow for Paul. They said, no, Paul, you go. We'll take care of this. And they were persecuted. Now, I don't know how many of you guys don't like being or like being thrown under the bus. Right? It doesn't feel good when somebody throws you under the bus or somebody says, oh, it's your fault. Or you get rebuked and you, would, you didn't even have nothing to do with it. But you'll take the blow. You'll take the blame. You'll take the hit. Or if somebody's driving a car and they're going to hit your leader, you're going to push them out of the way and say, I'll get hit by a car. Are you willing to do that? Right? That's what happened with Gaius. He took the blow for his leader. He said, Paul, get out of here. I've got you. I've got your back. And so here, these were men of God that were willing to lay down their life for their leader for the sake of the gospel. Sopitar, he was was a kinsman of Paul. His name meant say father, deliverer, protector, healer, heal, preserve, do well, make whole. These are some heavy men of God that God had put on this team that God allowed to use with Paul. All these men had endured hardship, persecution, and even martyrism. For those who don't know what a martyr is, it's one who dies for the gospel, for the sake of spreading the word of God, right? What was it about these men that Paul saw? What was so worthy about them that he would bring them along on their team? And so here... I'm just giving you a little profile of these men and how these men were so key to the team for Paul. Because back in these days, it wasn't just get in your car, SUV, and pay the toll and go over the bridge and you're going to be just fine. No, this was a time of persecution. This was a time when they, did, they didn't have roads set and ready for you to go walk on. No, they had to either follow trails that were made before them or they had to create their own trails. They also had to go on ships, and these ships weren't always reliable. They had shipwrecks. Imagine being on the love boat on, you know, cruises, and your ship breaks or, you know, um, what do you say? They, it sinks. You, you'll see that on CNN, right? And people, I want my money back. I didn't get my cruise. No. Back in these days, they came on these ships and they didn't know if they were going to make it. These men of God that traveled with Paul, they knew that when they were going to follow the man of God, that they may not come back home. They knew that they were going to be persecuted, that they were going to be in prison, that they were going to go through some heavy trials. But because they knew, they were ready and willing to follow what God had called them to do. How many of us know that we're called to a mighty ministry? That when we're called to this ministry, it's, we're not serving a sissy lala ministry. We're not serving a compromising, ear-tingling you know, ministry. We have a ministry that believes in the gospel, and we don't water it down. We keep it pure. We keep it real. We keep it to the way that God intended it to be. And we're not going to compromise the word and tell you what you want to hear. No, we're going to tell you the truth because the truth that sets us free, Right? We don't serve God. We're not playing church up in here. We're not trying to say, oh, look at my pretty dress. Now I'm going to go home and watch my novellas. No, take off that dress, put on your tennis shoes, and let's go to the streets. That's kind of ministry that we serve. So if you, you know, you don't like my yelling, get some Kleenex or some tissue, whatever. Go ahead and plug them in. Why did Paul pick these men? Because they were willing to put their egos to the side. The Bible says that because of Paul's weak presence, these men came in and empowered Paul even more. But because these men were leaders, these men led the churches, these men had giftings, these men had power spots in their life, they were skilled workers for the ministry. But even still, these men could have been prideful. These men could have had their own agenda. These men could have had the wrong, the wrong motives to joining that team for, with Paul. But they chose to put their egos to the side. They chose to put their agendas away or whatever, throw them away, and partner with, with Paul the apostle and say, Paul, what is it that you need me to do? What is it that you want me to build with you? What is it that you want me to work on? What part of the team? What do you want me to do on this team? I'm willing. And so how many of us know that when we serve, when we serve Jesus, we got to have the right motive. But not only that, but when we serve our leaders, we got to have the right motive. We got to put our own agendas away. We got to put our own, you know, plans or ideas to the side and come under this authority that God has given us. They knew what they had to offer. They knew why God had called them, but they knew that they had a leader that was leading them. And we can't serve a God. We can't serve, you know, our leadership having our own agendas. We can't serve the pastor and, you know, the leadership and and having a secret plan or agenda. That's not going to work. That never works that has caused division, that has caused contention. It has caused trouble in the church. And that's not what we're doing here. We're raising up an army for the the vision of Victor Outreach International. We're raising up a people that have the same common, you know, vision, that common heart, a common love for the people so that we can accomplish what God has given us. We have to be able to humble ourselves, humble ourselves, Humble our own philosophies, humble our own ideas, put those to the side and come under the authority that God has given us. Come under that authority, that leader that God placed over us and not be afraid. These men were willing to humble themselves under the authority of Paul in order to fulfill the vision that was bigger than them, that was beyond them, that wasn't even about them, but about the cross. Another thing that I see that Paul seen in these men is that they have the same vision how many of us know that there's so many ministries out there so many you know philosophies and ideologies and churches of craziness they even have a church for Beyonce I'm like they shouldn't even call it a church just call it a cult because that's not a church but there are so many people with different visions and different ideas and different you know theologies but these men had the same vision. Remember how he said with, when Paul had chosen them, they were not only his travel buddies, but they were his companions. They were like-minded people. They worked side by side. They had the similar understanding. They had the same application. And as we serve under this ministry, we have to know what this vision is all about. We have to understand why we believe in what we believe in. We have to understand that we believe in rebuking and correcting and encouraging so that when you start getting rebuked, or when I take you into the office, or somebody takes you into the office and says, Hey, sister, hey, you're out of line, that you're going to allow us to speak into your life, that you're going to allow us to pour the word of God into you, and instead of getting mad, you're going to understand that in this ministry, we believe in building leaders for the next generation. those cities that are going to need a pastor or a leader, they're going to understand that this is the process that I have to go through in order to be effective for this world. That when we begin to correct and deal with you, Rebuked me, but I was all like, oh, okay. And I had to tell him, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. My bad. <laughs> right? But he had to deal with me. And not only does he have to deal with me, but then our leadership has to work with us. Our leadership has to correct us. Our leadership has to encourage us and rebuke us. But that's what we believe in. That's why we're under this great vision. Because 17 years ago when I walked into this church, I am not the same. I don't talk the same. I don't dress the same. I don't act the same. I don't love the same. I don't lead the same. It's because somebody poured their life into me. Somebody was brave enough and prayed up enough to correct me and deal with me and love me through it. They had the same vision. They knew that they had to preach the gospel. They knew that these were desperate times that required desperate men of God ready to preach the gospel. These men also were willing to lay down their life. No greater love than this, but then for a man to lay down his, or for a brother to lay down his life for his brethren. No greater love than this for than for his brother to lay down his life, right? Sometimes I get tongue twisted, but you know what I'm saying. No greater love. It was dangerous. This was a dangerous task that these men were doing. The culture was different back then. And even if you travel over there, which I never will because of ISIS and all these men, crazy men out there, you know, they're beheading people. And we think today we like us Americans we're like, "Oh my god, this is devastating. Oh my god, we got to pray for the church." No, don't you know this has been happening for the last 2000 years? We're just starting to hear about it? This is nothing old to this region of this world. This has been happening for thousands of years. But we're starting to realize that this is happening. But you know why God's starting to show us more of this? Because we're going to get persecuted. We think that we live in a country that is free. Yeah, I love my country, I pray for my country, but they're coming soon. There's persecution already coming to America. We've heard about it already. But are we willing to lay down our life? Are we willing to tell Paul, to tell our leader, get out of here, there's a riot. I'm gonna lay down my life for you. Whatever happens to me, I'm gonna die. How many men, how many mothers are willing to give up all, to give up their children? For the sake of the gospel, these men laid down their life. They counted the cost. The Bible says count the cost. Count it. Because we didn't need or he didn't need men to abandon him. These men counted the cost. They picked up their cross and followed him. They knew that by following him, there may be no return to their homes, to their families, to their children. He needed men of God that were willing to, dan, de, to lay down their life, not just for him, but for the name of Jesus, for the sake of souls being won to the Lord. He knew that these men were so down and so ready that they had nothing stopping them. Also, commitment. These men were committed. And when you think of the word committed, I'm going to give you the definition. I love this. They had been put in charge or entrusted to carry into action deliberately. These men were committed men of God, committed, intentional, soldiers, warriors, laborers, prisoners for the Lord. It also meant a, con- a control, com- excuse me, a contract committing to the company to complete the project on time. Also, to obligate or pledge oneself. These men were committed that whatever they had to go through, they followed through on it. Wherever the diversion took place, wherever the detour took them, they didn't abandon Paul, but they stayed faithful. They stayed in connection. They stayed reliable and faithful. And when plans were given to them, they followed through on those plans. There wasn't a question about did you follow through on the plans or do, you know, what's going on here? Um, Do we need to work on our communication? No. These men took the order and ran with it. How many of us can take an order right now and we can trust you to run with it? And not only run with it, but finish it on time. How many of us know these men were not flaky men? They weren't wavering men. They weren't, okay, today I'm going to serve God, women. Today I'm going to serve the Lord. Oh, I'm feeling weak today. Oh, it's PMS. I don't want to do anything. My back. Right? I'm just being honest. That's who I am. Women, we go through those things. We make decisions, emotional decisions, and we can't let our emotions dictate our lives. We can't let our emotions dictate our character because even that can take place. We can't be a wavering Christian, a wavering missionary, a wavering leader, a wavering, you know, mom, dad, whatever. We can't be those kind of people that waver to and fro. We can't be those double-minded Christians that say I'm going to serve God one day and then the next day you're not here. How can we win the world for God? How can we establish and fulfill the vision that God has given us in Victory Outreach? How can our founders and our leaders call on us if we don't have any reliable leaders to take on this vision, right? How can we be entrusted? How can anybody trust me? How can anybody trust me if I'm not consistent? I can't tell my people, do as I say, but not as I do. That's so contrary to the word of God. That's so double-minded, there's no way. He also picked these leaders because they weren't just baby Christians, these were mature Christians. These were men that had grown up in the ministry. These were men, and what I mean grown-up I don't mean since they were children, I mean spiritually speaking. These were men that had been dealt with and worked with and discipled and encouraged and inspired. And as they they were being worked with, they began to catch the vision. They began to catch the purpose of why their disciple was pouring into them. They began to catch a heart for people. They began to have an understanding of why they did what they did. But it didn't have to be explained to them anymore. But God had given them a heart. God had used Paul. God had used their leaders to pour into them. So that when the time came, when Paul had picked these men, they were ready. They had their packs ready. They didn't have to pray for the next two hours or the next couple weeks to say, well, I don't know, Paul, let me pray about it if I'm supposed to be on this mission with you. Let me pray if I'm supposed to run the women's home. Let me pray if I'm supposed to take on, you know, this mission field to the, to, you know, to the Philippines. Let me pray about it. No. But these men were already prayed up. These men were already fasted up. These men were already in connection with their leaders. These men were already in tune with the Holy Ghost. So they knew that when the call came, they answered it immediately. It didn't take a two-hour prayer moment to say, "God, is this your will? Yes or no?" No, these men were in the Spirit already, and they knew that when the answer, when the call came, they knew to answer it. They were ready. These men were mature men. They had to, you know, they had they had um, developed a good testimony. They had a good name standing amongst the people. They had uh, they had excuse me. They had a love for people. People knew who they were. People knew that they were the real deal. They were mature men of God in character. Not only were they mature in their in their selves, in their um, testimony, in their personalities or characteristics but they were mature in their talents and their giftings. That these men knew what they were were good at and they applied it. That they were skilled workers. That if they knew they had a specific gifting, they applied it. It wasn't, well, I don't know. Well, I know I have this gifting, but I don't use it. No, that's the worst thing when we hear people that say, well, I know I have this gift, but I don't use it. Well, why not? It's a gift. It's not a gift for you. It's a gift for the people. Why not? These men were mature enough knowing that they were being used by God and that they used their gifts. They were mature. These men did not entangle themselves with the affairs of this world. Because how many of us know that, man, there's so much going on in our in our state? I'm not even talking about our country. I'm talking about our state. I mean, everybody loves California. But why? There is so much sin on a rampage. There is so much Hollywood and media and just so much, uh, you know, just sin. It's, it's promoted. It's promoted. It's magnified. It's, you know, celebrated. What is wicked now is good. And what is good now is seen as wicked. Wow. Our society is really corrupt now. And so as serving God, it's easy to get entangled. It's easy to be on that laptop or that computer and click. Just one click away, things start popping up. Emails, I get weird emails with you know people that want to have affairs in my email. And I'm like, what the heck, who is this? And it's that junk mail, but it goes through your email. That's how the enemy's creeping in. He's just showing up and not even asking. He's coming into your house. He's not knocking, right? Our stuff is real. We can easily get entangled with this world. Facebook, really? Really? Facebook, you know, I love Facebook. I use it for the glory of God. I use it to, you know, share my thoughts, but I try to lead those thoughts towards Christ. But when I see people, you know, arguing and debating and cussing people out on Facebook, I'm like, are you serious? And what church do you go to? Please don't tell me. You go to mine. Right? Or people get caught up in how many likes and, oh, I only got 50. I got to get 100 today. No. Who has time for that? That's crazy. No, but these men, they were mature and they knew their mission. They knew their very purpose in life. They knew that they were there by your will, for your pleasure, I exist. When we sing that song, these men of God were singing it before us. These men of God wrote the song. These men were called by God for the Lord. They had each and, every one, each and every one of them had a purpose and a plan for their lives. They each had been given a gift to be a blessing not only to their church, but to the churches that Paul would take them to, to encourage. And how many of us know that in this ministry, we have a great vision We have a great calling in Victory Outreach International. We have a great vision here in Hayward where we want to take Asia for Jesus. We have a great ministry where we're taking Africa. We're taking South America. We're taking Canada. We're taking Europe. We're taking Mexico. We're taking Hawaii. We're taking all these places all over the world. But can we rely on us? Can we rely on you? Can we rely on the leader and say, I've got leaders ready to go on that team. I've got missionaries ready to lay down their life, to forsake all, to leave their mother, to leave their father and do what God had called them to do. Those are the kind of men and women that we need in this time, in this vision to go and preach the gospel. We're not raising up little sissy lala's like my husband said. I'm just quoting him, so don't get mad at me. Well, we're not raising up little sissies. We're not raising up punks. We're not raising up, you know, wishy-washy Christians. We're not raising up little suckers. No, we're raising up some soldiers. We're raising up some men and women of God that are ready to answer the call, that aren't going to play with sin, that aren't going to get entangled with the affairs of the world, but they're going to take their calling, and they're going to take it seriously. They're going to know that at one time they were nothing. But because of a loving God rescuing them, they have to fulfill the call. They have to answer what God has given them. Oh, don't give me that golf clap. You better put your hands together. You better put them hands together right now. Because all of us will be burning in hell right now. All of us, including me. God called us. God saved us. He called us to this worldwide ministry. Well, what are we doing with our giftings? What are we doing with our talents? What are we doing with the anointing, the precious anointing, respectable anointing? What are we doing with him? What are we asking with the Lord? Are we applying all that God has given us? If Paul was here today, right now, in the flesh, could he say, Stevan, come on my team? Toby, come on my team. Ishmael, come on my team. John, come on my team. Could he say those things? Could he tell me, Chala, come on my team? These men were radical. They I mean radical. We don't even understand the word when it comes to them. They were so radical. Paul got stoned, died and then resurrected and he still went back into the town and ministered. Who does that? Who does that? Somebody threw a 40 in my face, swelled up my eye, my whole face, went to the hospital. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back to that neighborhood. Are we radical enough? And I did, just so you know, I know punk. I did, because I have a mission, and I'm a part of this vision. And if we're going to raise up some soldiers, we need some committed men and women of God. We need some men and women of God who know their identity in Jesus. We need some sold out Christians that are going to say, yes, Lord, and amen. We need some men and women of God that are going to come under this authority and say, whatever it is you need me to do, I'm ready. How How many of you guys feel the call of God over your life? I feel the call of God. I'm still in my, I'm in my calling right now, but I know there's so much more to do. And I'm just like, God, I'm here pastoring. I love pastoring. What else do you have for me to do? What else do you want me to do? You want me to raise these kids already? And even if you don't have it, that you would catch it. That's why we're going to this women's convention. Because we want to catch this vision. We want to catch the heartbeat. That's why the men of God, they're having their move class. Because they need to catch this vision. Because they need to catch the heart of our pastor. Because they need to catch the heart of Jesus. Because God has called this church to greatness. I know that when I look out to every one of you guys, I see the call of God over your life. I see Asia being taken for Jesus. I see Africa being taken for Jesus. I see Russia being taken over for Jesus. I see that. But the question is, do you see it? Do you sense it? Can we pick you to be a part of our Paul's team and say, come with us? Some of you guys are coming in for now, but don't stay too comfortable because you just might get sent back out. Be ready. I just wanna share one more thing till I, till, before I close out. These men were so radical, so willing, but it was leaders that were before them that were willing. I asked the women to do a study on the disciples and why. Jesus picked all of them. And I just, I'm going to close out with this, if the piano player could come. Andrew. Andrew was condemned to die on the cross, and he died a martyr on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew. These were men that walked with Jesus. They hung out with my Savior, Bartholomew. He helped preach in India. He died as a martyr for the Lord in way of knives. Stabbed, I don't know, describes it as a death with knives. James, son of Zebedee, we know about him. He lived in the shadow of John. This man was humble this man had put his own agenda to the side and he said jesus what is it you want me to do what leader do you want me to follow how do you want me to die he was the first of the 12 to be martyred john he died of natural causes but he was persecuted Judas the one and only one that betrayed Christ he walked he ate he slept he was there hearing all the preachings and yet he betrayed Jesus and you know how he died he hung himself Jude Jude was killed with arrows for the sake of the gospel Martyr, Peter, the famous one, and I think we all relate to this guy, because he had cussed up a storm. He, when, you know, when they went to go get Jesus out of the garden, he had a sword ready. Oh, you won't come against my Lord? Oh, what? He, I think he was from Oakland, because he had that light. yeah, and he cut the, the, the soldier's ear off. Yeah, what are you going to do now? You can't even hear nothing anymore. Yeah, and the Lord took his ear and healed him but he was so gung-ho, he was so radical, so sold out, he was willing and ready. He died as a martyr, upside down, on the cross. And Philip, Simon, Thomas, these men were persecuted and they were martyred for the Lord. And when you think of their lives, like they were born for a time to know Jesus and how they committed their very being. They committed everything about their life to Jesus for the sake of the gospel that others could be one so that others could know the truth These men literally, in the flesh, literally died for the sake of the gospel. They were persecuted, imprisoned, starved, abandoned, shipwrecked. These men of God were not playing around. These men of God were serious about the call of God. They didn't take it lightly, it wasn't a joke. This was life or death. They took it seriously. And if we're gonna take Asia for the Lord, we gotta be serious. Stop playing around with sin. Stop messing with that man that doesn't belong to you. Stop messing with that woman who's not your wife. Stop watching that what's on the internet. You know what I'm talking about. Stop demeaning your husband. Stop degrading your wife. Stop coming over here and gossiping over to your neighbor. We don't do that. We don't gossip here. If you're going to talk about anybody, go to God and get on your knees. But we need soldiers. We need men and women of God that are willing to be discipled. That are willing to die to their own agendas. That are willing to be obligated to the ministry. That are willing to give themselves to whatever the ministry asks. That we would do it my husband told me about Ireland and he said Chell I felt like telling Pastor Sunny we'll go and I said okay I'll go with you all four of my kids we'll go it's not a problem because we know what God did in our life and we will forever be indebted and so this call don't come up here I'm going to be really serious right now This is a serious altar call. Please do not come up here to this altar if you know you're playing with sin. Please don't come up to this altar if you've been told you're in sin and yet you're still doing it. Don't do it. Don't come up here, please. This is a holy sanctuary. This is a holy altar right now. Now, if you feel like you're called for the Lord if you believe I know God has separated some of you guys the anointings all over you Ishmael and Liz you're separated for the Lord if you feel like God has put a calling on your life and you're saying yes God I want to do it if you're saying I want to be discipled and worked with Lord send somebody my way if you know that you want to do what God has called you to do at whatever the price. You say, I'm going to be a committed Christian. Not only am I going to be like these apostles and these disciples and these companions of Paul, not only am I going to give of my time and my talent, but I'm also going to give of my treasure. Because without finances, we can't fund the missions. Without finances through United, we can. Without the finances of giving, we can't support our missionaries. We can't buy the, the vehicles and the buildings that they need without finances. And so if you feel that call, that pushing, I know the Holy Spirit is tugging out your heart right now. And if you know that that's you, that you want to be one of Paul's men, one of Sonny's guys, one of Pastor Steban's men, even his woman in the spiritual sense, I want you to come to this altar and I want you to say Lord that's me I know I'm called I know I'm called to this vision I know I'm called to this ministry I know I'm called to the inner cities of the world and I want to be used for your glory Lord I want you to begin to talk to the Lord right now and I want you to make that vow I want you to make that vow between you and Jesus, you and the Lord. You're saying, God, I know that you saved me. I know that you rescued me, but as you have saved me, I know it's going to be the ministry of victory outreach. That's going to raise me up in this time. And so if you know that that's you, I want you to begin to lift up your hands. I want you to lift up your hands. Close your eyes. This is between you and Jesus. This is between you and the Lord. I want you to begin to pray and say, Lord, I know that you want more of me. I know that you're asking more of my commitment. I know that you're asking more of my time. And I wanna go to another level now. Take me, Lord, to that new level in you. Take me, Lord, to that place of commitment that I need to commit to take me Lord